Hey there, everybody. This is your host, Michelle Ann Olson, and you are listening to Are You Afraid of the Bark, the podcast that goes bark in the night. So here we are at episode 16 of the podcast. Welcome. And today we will be talking about some of the various terrifying animal-like creatures that exist in Aboriginal legends from around the world. We're going to be visiting some Aboriginal cultures in North and South America. I anticipate that I am going to be butchering a lot of original (laughs) names in languages that I definitely don't speak, so I apologize in advance for that. I mean, no disrespect and no harm. I'm going to try my best with these pronunciations, but I just want you to know that I'm probably going to get them wrong. The reason I wanted to delve into these legends in particular this week is because one of my favorite podcasts, one that I listen to every week, it's called And That's Why We Drink. And on this podcast, one of the hosts, M, presents a ghost story, and the second host, Christine, presents a true crime murder story. And in a recent episode, M talked about one of in my opinion, one of the most terrifying Aboriginal myths, and that's of the Wendigo. I'm not going to get into the Wendigo on this podcast because I don't think that it is related enough to animal myth and folklore. The Wendigo has animal characteristics, but I wouldn't classify it as an animal, so I'm not going to get deep into that legend now. But if you want to look into that concept, that legend, further. It's spelled W-E-N-D-I-G-O. It's related to isolation in the woods, acts of cannibalism, acts of greed, selfishness. It's a wonderful legend, and by wonderful I mean absolutely bone-chilling. So having listened to that episode of And That's Why We Drink and them talking about the Wendigo, I decided to look into other Aboriginal myths and legends pertaining to the terrifying animal spirits that abound in those oral traditions primarily. So without further ado, let's travel to start to Central America, And I want to talk to you first about an animal creature known in Mayan mythology. And this creature is the Kamasots. And this is a bat god. The name Kamasots means literally death bat in the Kichi language. And in Mesoamerica, Central America, this bat, this god figure, was associated with night, death, and ritual sacrifice. The Maya considered him a terrifying god who served death itself and ruled the domain of twilight, was active at night. So he lived in bloody grottos and other dark places that people typically tried to avoid for fear of disturbing him. No surprise there. In the Popol Vuh, which is sort of the creation myth or lexicon of of myths of the Mayan people, the Popol Vuh, Kamasots were bat-like monsters 
encountered by two hero twins, and here's where I really butcher the language, named Hunapu and Zabalank. These were two Mayan hero twins. Think of it as like the character Hercules in Greek mythology. They encountered bat-like monsters known as Kamasats during their trials in the underworld of Zabalba. So as part of a series of trials that the twins had up until this point vanquished or succeeded in, they had to spend the night in the house of bats. And they were surrounded by these creatures, these Kamasats, and so they squeezed themselves down into their own blowguns in order to defend themselves from the circling bats. But after many hours, Hunapu made the mistake of sticking his head out of his blowgun to see if the sun had risen, at which point the bats would retreat. And in that moment, Kamasats immediately snatched off his head and carried it to the ball court to be hung up as the ball used by the gods in their next ball game. So there you have it. That's one legend of Kamasats. In another chapter of the Popol Vuh, a messenger from Zivalba, the underworld, in the form of a man with the wings of a bat, made a deal between a lord of man and mankind, wherein mankind promised their, quote, armpits and their waists, which was the places in which they were cut during ritual sacrifice in exchange for fire. So the bat god provided mankind with fire, and in exchange they would continue to provide him with habitual ritual sacrifice. Ugh, the idea of being cut in the armpit and waist is pretty gruesome. So bats are depicted in pre-Columbian artwork and history, legend. They have human form and personality. They're depicted as being closely involved in ritual sacrifice, probably because of this legend. So let's travel now north to the Ojibwa tribe to talk about Mishipeshu, which means the Great Lynx. And another common name for Mishipeshu is the water panther. He's a fantastic dragon-like animal that resembles a large cat, but with horns, great horns that are symbols of his power. He has big palm paws that enable him to swim fast, and his back and tail are covered with scales. Mishipishu lives in the depths of big lakes. Although he has a feline shape and is considered an amphibian, he is described in legend as a reptile. He's feared by Ojibwe because he is the cause of waves, rapids, and whirlpools, and he breaks down the ice in winter, which can claim numerous victims trying to step out onto a frozen lake. So in the area of Churchill River in Manitoba, there was a game called Mishupeshu that symbolized the power of this being. A child was randomly selected amongst the group of children, would have the role of the aquatic monster, and he had to catch his friends and throw them into the water. Any lake can be inhabited by a Mishupechu, and they can cause the lake to change its characteristics. They can be the source of a sudden wind or fog. A lake containing a Mishupechu might have deep depressions in the water, in the, in the underwater landscape, or have particular coloration. These can be signs of a great lynx living in a lake. 
The lynx is also closely related to copper, which was a valuable resource gleaned from the Great Lakes in both Canada and the United States. So some legends say that the horns and scales of Mishupeshu are made of pure copper, and many indigenous populations in the Great Lakes area see Mishupeshu as a guardian of that metal. Legend has it that during a fight with Mishupeshu, a young man reported that he broke a part of the monster's tail when hitting it with a paddle. This fragment was made of copper, and he kept it to acquire luck at hunting and fishing. Now, Mishupeshu and other underwater beings are typically considered harmful, malicious. They change the weather that leads to loss of life, but they're also essential to certain tribes because the Mishupeshu give them protection and medicine. They're dangerous, but they can help to secure successful hunts and an abundance of food in the form of fish. It's possible to call upon their power to secure a good catch and to summon their help in the practice of healing. There are a few well-known stories of encounters with Mishupeshu, and one comes from a Jesuit missionary named Claude de Blanc, who told the story of four Ojibwa who embarked on a journey to the home of Mishupeshu to take copper back to land, back to their home, and to use it to heat water. But the very second they pushed off and backed into the water with their canoe, the eerie voice of the water panther surrounded them. The panther then came growling after them, vigorously accusing them of stealing the playthings of his children, the copper. All four of the men died on their way back to the village, the last one surviving just long enough to tell the tale of what had happened in the final moments before his own death. This next creature is fearsome but also the kind of thing that a young child might find just hilariously amusing. The name of this creature, and please forgive me, I'm probably butchering it, is Aniwe. Aniwe is a huge and fearsome creature resembling a giant skunk. The Aniwe is found in the folklore of the Ojibwe people, especially in the United States. So it's armed with the same pungent spray of a normal-sized skunk. And the Aniwe hunts human prey and then sprays them to death, making them sick with its noxious fumes. It's also able to understand and communicate with human beings, which I'm not okay with. So the most common legend of the Aniwe... And, like, like I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not laughing, the idea of a giant skunk asphyxiating me with its giant brain like scent sacks that's pretty scary to me but this story okay yes it, it did make me laugh a little bit the first time I heard it so the Inuwe approached a certain village and having seen it coming all the inhabitants fled leaving behind one old woman who was too infirm to travel when the Inuwe arrived at the village it tore off the roof of her house and demanded to know where the rest of the tribe had gone when the woman refused to speak, the Aniwe declared that it would cure her of her infirmities for good. It did so by spraying her to death. That is just so, it's, it's just so horrible. It's so horrible. I don't know why I'm laughing. Maybe I'm probably a horrible person. Beware the Aniwe, death by giant skunk. It sounds 
truly horrible and smelly and not enough tomato juice in the world is going to save you from that fate. Moving on to a creature called the Gisiawas. That is a word from the Abenaki tribe. The Gisiawas is a monstrous, stiff-legged, hairless, bear-like creature. And stories of Gisiawas come from the folklore of indigenous tribes in the northeastern United States and eastern Canada. So right here in Ontario. Great. They have a penchant for eating human flesh, and that's the reason for their hair loss. In one tale, their daily thirst for water is the reason why certain rivers and lakes begin to dry up, as in drought. They're large and cumbersome, so if they lie down, they are incapable of getting back up. As a result, they prefer to lean on sturdy trees for respite. The Gisiawas will attack rip people's head off, or throw victims so hard they die from the velocity. So they are not nice. But there are some who believe that the stiff-legged bear, or bear-man-eater figure of legend, of this kind of legend, might be representations of mastodons or woolly mammoths, which were still preserved in oral histories thousands of years after the animals themselves became extinct. And there are a few ideas supporting this connection. So some southeastern Native American populations used their native word for big man-eater when they first saw African elephants. So it could be the same word used to describe two different species of what are essentially elephant. Elephants also have a peculiar stiff-legged gait with their legs positioned vertically directly underneath their body, which is different from other animals such as bears. And this stiff-legged gait way of walking is common across legends of stiff-legged bears or bear man-eaters across legends across tribes. Elephants have a proportionally large head compared to animals like bears, and the stiff-legged bear or Gisiawas, is described as having an unusually large head. And they are described in similar size and strength to a mastodon. Think of the idea of this animal being able to throw its prey so far and with such force that they die. So interesting that that legend could literally be a holdover, a cautionary tale from the time that mastodons walked the earth in North America. And I'm going to end this episode talking about the keelet. The keelet brings us back to last week's episode about demon dogs across the world, across cultures. The keelet is another such story associated with death, a harbinger of doom, of death, in the same way that the Grimm or Black Dog in European culture is said to be a bad omen. So fascinating to me that we get these themes appearing, even manifesting as the same physical animal, these themes across cultures, across generations, across time. Just so interesting to me. We weren't communicating with one another when these stories originated. We weren't communicating across continents, but we came up with the same ideas and depicted them in the same way, depicted them using the same animal spirits. It's interesting. I have to wonder if it means that there's a sliver of truth to these legends. So the keelet 
is an evil earth spirit that takes the form of a black hairless dog that has only hair trailing off of its feet. And for some reason, that really weirds me out. So it's much like the black dogs of Great Britain, said to follow travelers at night and attack and kill them. If a trail of dog tracks is found, then suddenly disappears, it's believed that the keelet is nearby. It feasts upon the dead and is seen as a harbinger of death. To see it means that death will follow in your life. Having hair only on its feet, the tracks of the keelet are said to disappear, giving the creatures its stalks no warning of its presence. Yep, those are some of the scarier animal myths and legends that I was able to find from various Aboriginal cultures. I hope that I haven't offended anyone with my terrible pronunciation. It's not my intention. I have nothing but respect for these stories. There are so many more wonderful ones that I'd love to tell. Like I said, the Wendigo chills me to my very bones. I used to work with Inuit artists in a previous life, and there are so many wonderful legends out of that culture, Canadian Inuit culture, like Sedna, the sea goddess. But those legends... The, 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 the heroes and villains in those legends are more human-like. I really wanted to seek out myths that take the form of recognizable animals. Something about them being a bat, but bloodthirsty, and a skunk, but giant. That just makes them all the more, all the more creepy, in my opinion. This will once again be a short and sweet episode. I'm not sure if you can hear it in my voice, but I'm somehow battling a cold again. I don't know how that's possible. Surely one person can only get so many colds within the span of three months. So I'm going to end my episode here before my voice goes. And hopefully by this time next week, everything will be back to normal. Because headed into the holiday season, I'm hoping to bring to you some spooky Yule stories pertaining to our animal friends. Halloween may have come and gone, but we all know that Christmas is when ghosts really come out and play. So I look forward to seeing you next week. I hope you'll be here. I hope to be able to present to you some spooky animal-related holiday stories leading up to the Christmas holiday. Thank you, as always, for joining me today. You know where to reach me. I'm at areyouafraidofthebarkpodcast at gmail.com. A-Y-A-O-T-B podcast on Facebook, Afraid of the Bark podcast on Instagram, and at Afraid of the Bark on Twitter. So drop me a line. Let me know, as always, what you think, what you want to hear in upcoming episodes, what you like, what you don't. Leave a review through Apple Podcasts if you're able to, if you haven't done that already. It's just an absolute immense help to me. And I have an ask for you this week. I hate to ask, but I'm going to ask. If you like the podcast and if you have not shared it with anybody in your life, tell just one other person about it. That would be so immensely helpful to me. Just tell one other person about it and maybe they'll be into it, maybe they won't, but maybe I'll get a few new listeners and that would just make doing this every week so much more worth it. I love doing it for you and I would love to do it for just a few more people. So that's my ask. I hope it's not too selfish. In the meantime, I hope that you keep yourself safe from all of the 
animal spirits that are out there in the woods. I, for one, am sometimes glad to live in the middle of this urban landscape where I feel a little bit more removed from evil earth spirit, black dogs, and giant skunks. But you never know. Thank you very much for joining me. And I will leave you at the end of this episode, as I always do, by wishing you simply sweet dreams tonight. Thanks for listening. Ha, ha, ha.